0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Shall Be Well. I'm Anne Boyd, host of All Shall Be Well, a podcast by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We are here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you are a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Let me invite you into a special episode where we have the opportunity to listen into a round table conversation on the topic of singleness. The conversation is hosted by Karen Guzman, our director at Women in the Academy and Professions, and I'll let her introduce our four esteemed guests, and some of the important questions they'll delve into, including issues around work, family, friendship, and the church. The collective wisdom revealed in this conversation is remarkable, and I felt continually impressed and grateful for the honesty and vulnerability and faithfulness of these women as we asked them to share deeply about a pretty personal topic. This conversation is well worth listening to whether or not you are single yourself. It's exactly the kind of thing that everyone, single, married, widowed, or divorced, can benefit from as we seek to build a worldwide church that honors all people and their callings without regard to their marital status. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us.
1: It is such a privilege to have four amazing women with me today to talk about the topic of singleness, specifically from the perspective of people who love Jesus and are seeking to walk with him and to follow him. You can read their full bios in the show notes, but let me briefly introduce them to you. My colleague, Melody Marski serves as the regional director for InterVarsity's graduate and faculty ministry in the upper Midwest. Caitlin Schess is currently pursuing a Ph.D. in political theology at Duke when she isn't writing or providing thoughtful commentary on various podcasts. Stephanie Bent is also a PhD student and she's in higher education, student affairs and international education policy at the University of Maryland. And lastly, Dr. Lisa Sung is with us. Lisa is involved in a number of projects these days, including heading to Regent College in Vancouver where she will serve as a visiting professor beginning this fall. So, welcome, friends, to this roundtable conversation. While I'd love to have the four of you in my living room for this chat, I am grateful for technology, which allows us to gather this way and to talk together. So, thankful for your willingness to talk about this important topic with us. As a married person, it feels a bit awkward to host a conversation about singleness. However, this topic is one that my team consistently gets asked to address. And the questions that I'd like for us to consider today are actually from conversations that we've had with women in our audience. So thank you for serving them by joining me for this discussion. American culture, especially uh, American church culture, assumes uh, often that marriage is the norm for adults and something that all women should want and work for. For our people, uh, women with callings to grad school and demanding jobs, this can sometimes be very complicated. As I think about the single women that I know, there's a spectrum of situations and experiences. Some have never been married. Some of my friends chose singleness with joy, and others wish they were married. Some were married, but now unexpectedly find themselves single again, whether by divorce or as widows. Just in my own neighborhood, there are three women who lost their husbands, uh, and became widows in their early 40s. In the wider culture, people are getting married later. Many are opting out of marriage entirely and are instead living with their partners. Women who are wanting to be faithful to a traditional Christian view of marriage often feel out of sync. They outnumber men in their churches, and so finding a marriable mate sometimes feels like a long shot, and many of them just throw in the towel, figuring it'll be easier to find a husband on a dating app with or without religious convictions. And the church doesn't seem to be very helpful. Is it just me, or has the church made such an idol of marriage And family that for many, it's the hardest place to be single. How have we gotten here? What does it look like to think about and live biblically regarding marriage and singleness? How do we maintain a robust, biblically faithful view of marriage and family without idolizing them? And how do we help both men and women think about these things? and affirm those who experience singleness as a calling. I realize I just threw out a whole bunch of questions, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to hearing what you what you think about those things. I actually
2: have some thoughts on maybe some churches that I've been a part of that have been really helpful for me to think more positively about being single. single. There was one church that I was a part of um, in my like mid twenties where they really were intentionally trying to help us as young women. Like the group I was with was eighteen to twenty one year olds, but like really help us to not make marriage an idol in our life and to have an identity Mm -hmm. outside of it. And I think one thing that their framing did that. I really found to be helpful or I think maybe helpful for for churches to do is they actually they talked about choosing the pursuit of marriage or choosing a life of celibacy as a choice. You may choose that you never want to get married. And they talked about the advantages of that of living a life where you never got married and what you would gain from that and it both felt like equal equal paths i guess you could say as a christian woman or as a christian man put in that as a choice and you could choose singleness made it seem a little bit more of like a legitimate place to be in life even if you were still had an interest in marriage that there were things that you could get out of life while you were single and defining what that what that meant I think the other thing that I found really helpful about that environment is they also had unmarried women in leadership roles and in the ministry roles. And it was, I remember it felt kind of shocking a bit to me because I feel like it may have been the first church environment that I had been in where women held a ministry, significant ministry leadership positions, and they weren't married <laughs> to someone on staff. Seeing a single woman as a legitimate Christian was also helpful about that environment.
3: Yeah, I'll say it It feels like churches can either be our friend or foe <laughs> when it comes to these issues. Um, and Stephanie, that's a beautiful picture that you just painted. I, I think one of the things that's been helpful for me as a single person in my church over time has been the opportunity to have intentional friendships with married couples as well as single folks. For me, a lot of that has come through small groups and really being intentional about developing strong relationships with friends. I think it does help, Karen, you talked about a robust and biblically faithful view of marriage and family without idolizing. And when we're in intentional honest, intimate community, we can see both the good and the hard of marriage and singleness, right? So that's something that I would say I've been very much, I've been blessed through my church and blessed by connections with friends. So the metaphor that I use is that there are weeds on both sides of the fence, right? There are weeds on the marriage side of the fence and on the singleness side of the fence. And and when we actually have ongoing relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, we get to see those things, which then can take away the idols because you're like, oh, married people are lonely sometimes and it can be hard to be married. And, and the same is true for single people, right? And so I, that's been something that through the church and it, it actually breaks my heart because I feel like a lot of churches don't offer that sort of vision. Um, and I think the church should be offering that sort of a vision of intimate, close relationships with married folks and single folks
4: and doing life together over the long haul.
3: Mm. Mm-hmm.
4: I just moved to Durham, North Carolina to start my doctorate. And I, the church that I'm at, I found because I had been tweeting about it being hard to be a single woman in the church. I, I was in seminary for five years before this and worked at a church And saw some pretty structural barriers in my context to my gifts being used and my having leadership. I mean, I had two different women over the course of six months leave the ministry that I was leading because they were married and they said, I don't know that I can be led by a woman who isn't married, who doesn't understand like this significant portion of my life. They were both women who were like significantly younger than me. You know, I felt like I still have things to offer, but in their mind, marriage had been equated with maturity. And so I couldn't have the the position in their life that they wanted someone to have. And so I was coming off of that. I had been tweeting about it being hard. And someone who was also a doctoral student at Duke sent me a message and said, I'm a part of a church that has a lot of single people and then she put in parentheses something like, not in a meat market way. <laughs> she wasn't trying to say, she, you know, there are single people if you'd like to meet someone, that'd be great. But what I'm not trying to say is just, oh, there's lots of single people you could meet. What I'm trying to say is my church does a good job of supporting and caring and seeing single people, especially single women. And that's been my experience there in a really sweet way, kind of like you were saying, Melody, of not only feeling like my church really sees my gifts and wants to support me. I mean, I became a member of the church and the first meeting I had after that with a pastor, at the end of the meeting she said something about, you know, we should talk about you serving. And I sort of thought, oh, this is a conversation I've had before. I know what to say. I launched into a speech about how I had already been trained to help in children's ministry and I'd be ready to go and she was like, "Oh, that's great. If that's what you want to do, but I was more thinking like your research is so relevant to our church. Like, what are there ways you want to teach something? Is there some way that we could, it was a really striking, like I'd never had an experience like that before. And so I've had such a, you know, lovely experience on that end, but also feeling like there are families in that church that genuinely want single people to be a part of their lives, to have a role with their kids, to be in their home. Like all of those things are things I, I started to think about a lot as I was studying the Bible in seminary and feeling like we're doing something wrong. There should, there's a better vision here for community together, but I don't think I had really in-person experienced that until the environment that I'm in now, where it was just sort of assumed that I could be friends with a couple, or I could be friends with a family, and it wasn't, I'm just friends with other single people, or even among a family. I'm not just friends with the wife or the mom. I'm friends with the whole family and feel included in that, and I recognize the tension and like difficult. I mean, we have experiences that make it difficult sometimes for us to reach across what feels like a barrier. There, um, it feels like a risk to have someone involved in your full life. But I've been really thankful to be in a community where I've seen that modeled, and to, I'm actually sort of thankful to have not seen it, so I can see what a gift it is now and recognize the part I can play in continuing in my church to make it. I've seen the choices people made in the past that kept that from happening, and want to contribute to to an environment where where people are included in that kind of way.
5: That's great. It sounds like you guys have been part of some really um, exceptional churches. And I really resonate with everything that you guys have been already saying. And I just want to further sort of underscore various points that struck me as important that you guys have mentioned so far. One is that Karen asked the question, how does the church present a robust and a realistic view of marriage and of singleness? And uh, one of the things that I wanted to say is just that, oh, my goodness, I think if only churches would be a lot more intentional and a lot more thoughtful and proactive in in the ways that Stephanie's church was reminded of, you know, the biblical view of marriage. Martin Luther famously said, uh, marriage is a school for sanctification. Like how often do we hear that presented or (laughs) presented in homilies, right, or whatever, or at wedding showers or whatever. I mean, that's real. It's true. I love your metaphor, Melody. You know, instead of the grass always being greener on the other side, we need to have a lot more honest and vulnerable relationships and conversations with one another in the church. And then I also just wanted to sort of underscore some things that Caitlin mentioned as well. I've been struck recently because I've been working on issues of race and ethnicity and now doing more teaching around um, sexuality because it's all related to the doctrine of humanity. And of course, these are very volatile issues. But I just wanted to say that increasingly, I'm just struck how the scriptures really uh, don't pin people down or define people, you know, by their sexuality, by their racial or ethnic background, by their marital status, and that sort of thing. It's, a person is far more than any of these things, or even just a you know mashup of these things. A person is more than their background, their gifts, even their responsibilities, their roles, condition of life at the present. I agree that there's a spectrum of of people that I know, you know, who are single. I think a lot of people in between those two polls that, that Karen mentioned, you know, people who... Gladly chose singleness, and others who want to be married. So there's another middle space. That's for um, maybe a lot of us. Certainly, I wouldn't say that I chose singleness. In my experience, I've trusted God to know what is best for me, and we have freedom to pursue, get on dating apps, and that kind of thing. And and God does use those means. But um, I would say that overall, my my own a- approach is that in a way, all of life is pro tem for the moment. And so even those who are people who are married, there can be sudden and unexpected changes for uh, to their marital status, you know, and their life as a married person and those marital vows that can change, you know, we have our best of intentions or whatever. And the same with singleness. I mean, yeah, if anything, I've just come to see that it's really important to choose someone who is a peer in life. And that means spiritually, as well as in these other realms and someone who can be, where there's mutual affirmation and support and where there's alignment, right? Of vision and values and mission. And that's worth waiting for in my book. (laughs) Marriage is hard enough as it is. So God could still bring the right man into my life, the, the right match overall. And I don't mean there's just one person or whatever, but where there's a match that's really compelling, right? I could still bring that that man into my life. So that's what I mean by all of life is pro tem. But I know today I am in my overall life where he wants me to be. And his grace really has to be a reality because statistically, marriage is the norm in statistical norm in society and in the church. And as Karen said, women outnumber men in churches. So does that mean that all Christian women are consigned to a lesser and a deficient life? Because there isn't A suitable peer? No, absolutely not (laughs) in my experience. So it's worth waiting for, praying,
2: waiting for. Something that stood out to me particularly when Caitlin and Melody were talking was the importance of friendships. I mean, I think friendships are important for married folks as well, but I think that's also part of the way that you create an environment that's welcoming. I think in churches for a single Folks, um, and a lot of the charges where I have felt comfortable being single, there is also a lot of conversations happening around friendships and what it means to be a good friend, not just what it means to be a good husband or wife, or what does it mean to be loving in your various communities whether it's your professional community or your different extended family or things like that and so kind of given that definition for how to be a Christian for all different types of relationships is helpful and I think it, for me that aspect of it goes a little bit to what you may be talking about too Lisa of having a purpose in life that can exist without being married and being able to like work and walk in those purposes and not wait in to be married for that to be the beginning of your purpose in life, that you can define yourself and de- define who you are. And some of that is through being intentional with the relationships that exist in your life, but also kind of working walking out your various call-ins, I think, and not waiting to be married to mm-hmm. to feel like the call ins affirmed. So
1: Yeah, I have a uh, faculty friend who grew up in a a home that made it very clear to her that her main goal was to get married and to basically prepare herself to be a good wife and, you know, mother. And so she asked if she could go to college and her folks said, sure, until, you know, you get married. So she finished her undergrad degree, and then she asked if she could go on to grad school. Oh, sure, you can go to grad school until your husband comes along. Well, she made her way through her master's program. She made her way through a PhD program. She fell in love with research. She fell in love with her discipline, and now she's on faculty and has a strong sense of call to that. She did end up getting married, but it is sort of funny that her... uh, (laughs) it it was very clear to her stephanie that she was called to these other things and that's what she needed to prepare for right and then and then god brought this guy into her life <laughs> well related to that sometimes our families their comments their attitudes can be uniquely painful i have another faculty friend who's bright and fun and engaging she does amazing work and, it's, and, and really important research and writing, but every holiday when she's with her extended family, she's told things like, well, you know, if you weren't so smart and uppity, you'd be married with a family by now. Curious if any of you have, have had those sorts of experiences or if your friends have, and how do you navigate that kind of challenge?
4: You know, when I, when my younger sister got married um, a few years ago, I was around all this extended family. And it just so happened that two days before she got married, the day that I got on a plane to go to the wedding and see her, I turned in the manuscript for my first book. And it felt like this big accomplishment and this really, I mean, just like an unexpected thing. And I Went to the wedding and I already had lots of kind of mixed feelings about the whole thing. I was stressed about being near family for the reasons that you've described, and I was um, sad about my sister. I felt like we were one team and she was being you know taken away from me, and um, so I had all these mixed feelings. And I had a family member at the wedding. I had a couple of family members at the wedding. Asked the usual kind of like, well, when are you getting married? Or I thought you went to seminary to meet a man. How has that not happened yet? You know. But the most difficult one was when someone finally did kind of explicitly say, because I was starting at that point to talk about applying to PhD programs, someone did kind of say, well, you know, you're narrowing your chances. (laughs) The more school Mm -hmm. you do, the harder it will be. The more successful you are, the harder it will be. And I think, I mean, as you've described, the reason it was disappointing was it, it so clearly biased one kind of life over another kind of life, as if I would make different choices if they were right. Because they're not totally wrong that there are some unique challenges to being well-educated, to having some success, to having, having prioritized a career, at least. And yet the assumption was like, well, and of course, that's bad. <laughs> like the fact that you have less options. Like, of course, that's worse than, you know, if you had just not done those things. And for me, it's been... A lot of I mean, I've had great conversations with family members over the years about how strong of an emphasis there had been in our family about marriage. To the point where a dear aunt of mine, like years later, apologized for giving me a book in high school that had really prioritized marriage as a woman's calling, essentially, and was really distraught over it. Like her eyes had really been opened to some of the ways this messaging could harm women in particular. And so there's been moments of redemption and healing in that. But I also think it's just helped me realize the way we value marriage is imbalanced but the way we value all sorts of kind of markers of success is also Mm -hmm. imbalanced. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to tell my family members, Hey, don't value marriage value how educated I am or value. If I got a book published or value, I want you to value those things to the same degree you value marriage, which is to say all of those things are, are rung beneath the character that I am. That's being built in me by the Holy spirit, the relationships that I have, the community that I'm like, I want those things to be primary and marriage to be lowered, but also some of these other things to be lowered Mm -hmm. for men and for women to kind of have a better sense that these other things in my life should be celebrated and honored. And I wish that there were better ways to celebrate and honor the milestones that have been significant to me, the way that my sister's kind of milestones have been celebrated. But I also want us to just, that's been a helpful way for me and my family to reevaluate, like what do we really think is most valuable in a human life, single or married? And either way, those haven't been always the right things that should be prioritized.
1: That's
2: great, thanks, Caitlin. I feel like i've I've had different struggles, some from friends, like I had a friend who once told me something I don't remember her exact words, but it was something towards the effect of I was too strong um or like too much of a leader to to end up in a relationship with a man like that was kind of her philosophy and it it rubbed me the wrong way, but I think when I think about that, like how I responded to that, and then how I've responded to some of the challenges that my family has placed on me is that I also value authenticity and being who I am in all spaces in a way that feels authentic to me. And I think it's hard for me to think about changing who I am to meet a definition of what it means to be a likable woman. Because then I'm like, but if I have to change who I am, I'm just gonna be on a ha- happy in that space. So you know, I think I've come a little bit to just accept what my personality looks like, accept what my callings are, and I think those have always been important to me, and I've never wanted to compromise that. And I think it's also my family having to accept those. My mom and my dad and I have had different questions or challenges about it at various points, and you know, at one point, my mom oh my dad you, you just have to you have to let this go and she'll she'll come to things in her own time and it, at her own pace and some of it is because I feel very strongly about it if someone's pressure me to be somebody I'm not like then I tend to start to withdraw in those interactions and so my parents have kind of in some ways I think honored um, that my education is really important to me and I've also recognized that that's part of who they shaped me to be and this is kind of a con- somewhat of a consequence of their upbringing <laughs> consequence makes it seem bad but you know it's an outcome of my up- upbringing and so they have become very supportive over time and my mom at one point kind of threw out a story of well you know, you can always adopt a kid. Um, like, you know, like, cause she wants a grand kid, and she we she has a my brother has a daughter, so she has, but she also wants she wants grandkids and many grandkids, and she's like, you may not get married, and so I need to think of alternatives. So, I think my family has just accepted that they're alternative ways of being, and I think some of that is from me just really explaining and really kind of stand in my ground that my education's important to me, that I'm gonna pursue it. And they honored the fact that that was important to me. But it took time, it wasn't perfect. (laughs) Stephanie, what you
5: just shared jogged my memory a little bit, as well as something and going back to something that Caitlin said as well. And so I'm second generation Chinese American. And so I'm very aware, at least in more traditional Asian cultures, it is almost outside the box, completely outside of the box, not to be married and to have children. And so the, the time that I've spent in both Chinese-American Christian communities, and then also even in seminary, my uh, roommate was Korean-American. And so because we were friends, all of her Korean friends, other seminarians felt completely free to ask me every time they saw me. So any good news? (laughs) As if there's only one possible (laughs) message of good news. And that was like a daily litany for for three years, you know, that sort of thing. And I was reminded of this, and I'll just say I am um, north of 50 years old, right? Um, recently, last fall, I was at a gathering, a Chinese American church, I hadn't, there was a couple that had moved back to the Chicago area, who I had known 20, 25 years ago. And the first thing the wife said to me is, are you still single? So I want to say that certain cultures, and non-white cultures, uh, this is really at the forefront. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a reality that we have to contend with. Mm -hmm. And so that can make Mm -hmm. uh, church family, quote, unquote, singularly, Uh, painful and discouraging. Um, But then on the other hand, I was just reminded based on something that that Caitlin said that actually, you know, there aren't necessarily all these cultural markers and milestone events, right, for single people. But one way that I was totally blessed when I was a staff worker with the University of Chicago uh, grad chapter, when I bought my first condo, they decided to give me a shower, a housewarming shower, that sort of thing. Oh my goodness, that was incredibly uh, generous. And it was such a blessing because it is a way in our culture of recognizing sort of adulthood. And many times there just aren't comparable rituals, right? Or practices, you know, that, that recognize that. So anyway, that's
2: something that's a t- a hot tip that I'm hoping <laughs> Christian communities will adopt. <laughs> I, de- I definitely get the question every time I go home to Jamaica um are you seeing anyone is there anyone usually from a couple aunts from my cousins there's there is always that question too
3: it's interesting to think about it from the perspective as believers and believing that the that we receive gifts from the lord i think again, as Lisa talked about, not wanting to compromise, right? And I want to be the woman that God's made me to be, which means developing the gifts that he's given me. And I think there's gifts all around the circle of women in this conversation, for sure. And so sometimes that framing, I think, can be helpful. And it's like, I have no desire to marry a man that isn't going to support me in my gifts. You know, that's it. uh, that feels like it would be antithetical to Kingdom living, um, and, and I, I do feel like by God's grace in my family, because I had some of those questions as well. There came a point where my parents did finally understand that it would be better. To, it's better to be single and smart than married to the wrong person, right? Like that's just, yeah. And and I sadly, you know, as divorce rates continue to increase in our culture, that reality is it's not quite as hard to convince people of, maybe as it once was. Um, but it's true that um I want to use the gifts that God's given me and I'm I'm grateful for the gifts again that I that I'm aware of and some that I'm not aware of of all of you and I'm glad you've been investing in them.
2: I think one of the other things that has helped me with my family is also having like allies within my family, so to speak. <laughs> so my at at Christmas my mom tells the story differently. But she had all of these pictures on her mantle. And she, I was like, why isn't my picture up there? And she said, because you don't have a family. And I, well, and she says that's not what she said. And um, I was not, I was not happy. So I called my brother and he, he got home for Christmas before I did. And he got her to get one of my graduation pictures because I said, well, I have I have three degrees. That counts that's my family. And so he got one of my graduation pictures and made her put it on the mantle. He went out and bought a picture frame and did that. And there are ways that my mom has also served as an ally in terms of um conversations with other family members. So I also think that has helped me a lot in navigating the, the family circumstances of having having other people who are like, she's okay. Like, it's fine. She's still one of us, you know? That's great.
1: Yeah. Well, let's think about dating a bit. One of the questions I recently got from a handful of grad student women was, what does it look like to date well? And then just related to that too, lots of us have been burned in relationships, even even with men who are Christians. So, how do we think about those? How do we build healthy relationships with men and not just write them off because of the bad behavior of a few of them? Any any thoughts on that?
3: I'm I'm very uh, it, it's hard for me to think about commenting on the dating well because uh, it's been a while. But uh, I guess the one thing I would say about that is trying to hold things loosely, which I think is very hard in our culture. There's so, and especially actually the older you get as a single person, I think, you know, it's that, that the pressure ramps up, right. But trying to hold the relationship before the Lord and seek his face, right. And ask the questions, is this person going to help me to be who the Lord wants me to be? Um, Because if they're not, then I probably shouldn't be dating them. So that, that would be my one comment on that. I, with regard to the being burned in relationships that that one was a little easier i because i think actually in some ways some of the relationships that i in in the past that i have been hurt by maybe had more to do with me having unresolved issues and kind of the the people that i was dating it wasn't at all a conscious choice but i think i entered into some dating relationships that in, in some ways might have been doomed to fail because yeah. Because I hadn't been dealing with my own issues, and, and so at that point, I think there's a question about, you know, what am I bringing to the table? And again, am I committed to my own emotional and spiritual health and investing in it? So I do think that's really relevant, and actually that well impact dating well. And then the other thing, I think there can be a danger for us as single people that we can really get kind of locked in to various spaces in our lives. And so, do we have folks that we allow and even encourage to speak truth to us? Because that's, I mean, it's one of the things that I try to be conscious of is that I, I want those folks in my life because I need them, right? But I've watched other single folks not invite others to speak into their lives. And at that point, you can, you know, we all need help and we all need people to speak truth to us. And so that feels like an important part. And, and again, I think it does actually connect to these other things like how we date and how we're ent- entering into relationships. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't had two friends who years ago when I said, do you think I need to go back to counseling? They were like, yes. I was like, you could have paused before you gave that yes, but it was true. And I'm very grateful because God used that season to bring a lot of healing
4: in my life. Um, So I think the only thing that I would, would add to that question is I think I had grown up with this idea and it kind of harkens back to something I said before, but I think I'd kind of grown up with this idea that especially the older I got, if I was single, that had to, it had to be other single people that were my primary community. And some of it was based, like Melody was saying, and just kind of like, only they will understand me. And like, I only really could take advice, you know, from them. And, but I didn't want that the other way, you know? And so if if I didn't want that the other way, I don't want it, you know, the way directed towards me. So I, I think one of the best things for, for both me thinking about dating and also just my life in general has been relationships that I had um, at my church in Dallas before I moved here were the first time in my life where I had really close good relationships with couples and with their children sometimes but even but just having a good relationship with both the husband and the wife of a couple was like a new thing and I hadn't seen that modeled honestly before I, I I hadn't known a lot of single people that were older than 30 you know growing up and I didn't my parents didn't have friends that were single especially women I didn't know any you know and so having that as a new thing was both really positive just in general like it was really meaningful to me but also looking back that having that relationship where I have a close friendship with both a man and a woman and their perspectives on things to have that for dating for life for the work that I do everything is is just invaluable and so whatever we can do in communities to like Break down the idea that we have to kind of segregate into young marrieds and young families and parents of teenagers. And if whatever we can do to make sure that we're allowing single, not allowing, celebrating single people and married people having relationships with each other, I think that would make our experience of dating better. Um, I think it would make our communities better. Um, and I know I have learned a lot from just, especially from couples that didn't take my interest in their perspective on my dating life as a request for them to just sort of say, well, as the married people, who know how relationships work let me tell you you know but as people who just said we see you really well like melody said we know what might be going on with you internally emotionally and we know what we'd like to see in a relationship for you and like how can we help and support and give advice but not in just an exclusively we are inherently the more mature christians because we are married and so we can speak mm-hmm. in kind of a mentoring way to you instead of like this is a mutual relationship and i see things about you too that i will share with you and Having those kind of relationships, I think, is is really crucial for for dating and for life. I really
5: resonate with what both of you said, and I'm reminded that much earlier on my categories were were fairly well defined. and, And I assumed that married couples automatically have intimacy and single people do not. I've come over the years to recognize that. Actually, there are a lot of marriages that are outwardly intact. And their life partnerships on common projects, but there isn't actually there isn't the kind of uh, knowing and being known, being able to speak the truth with one another, speak the truth to one another. You know, the iron sharpening iron, as well as the supporting, right, and building up and affirming. So that's, that's just the reality. So my my categories, my assumptions that oh, because I'm single, you know, I lack intimacy, and there's that sort of thing. I'm thankful for several really close friends, soul friends, spiritual friends, you know, who are all of them are married. But in reality, you know, we there's so much more in common, right, that we share as people who love and want to follow Jesus and are both seeking and have our struggles as well, and that sort of thing. So the knowing and being known, you know, loving and being loved, uh, serving and um, being served. Which is how I it's not my original definition, but that's how I conceive of of intimacy. I found I can have that in various ways, with individuals, with couples, it's just such a relief of about, again, not being pegged uh, as a single person, and so therefore we have so little in common, or whatever, but relating to one another as whole people. So it has been a while for me uh, dating, but I would just say that I think I've realized that coming into relationships as as a host rather than a guest, And with a a mindset of who is this person and um, how can I encourage and build up and get to know them, that's going to serve us well, regardless of how the the relationship actually turns out.
1: So all of you have spoken to the importance of relationships and intentionality uh, towards that and the experience of relationships in various ways across, you know, age spans and across um, even what people are doing in their, with their lives. How have you created boundaries and protected those so that you have space for those relationships? I'm thinking particularly of the way in which sometimes single folks are called on to basically to work more because, you know, you don't have a family and you don't have kids. And so you've got plenty of time, you know, fill in the blank. Um, Particularly it's true. I hear from a number of friends who are on faculty in faculty positions, and they're just really tapped for all of the service that needs to be done Mm -hmm. uh, in their department. And they don't have some of the what would you say natural boundaries, if you will, right? So I'm just curious how, how have you sought to protect the time and energy that that you want to to invest in relationships with folks? I think for
2: me, I have realized that a lot of that had to do with how I was seeing the relationships. And for you know, someone who's married or like has kids, they can, they see those relationships as important. And so then it's easier for them to draw the line, so to speak. But part of the reason why that line was crossed for me at various points is because I wasn't placing enough value on those relationships. So um, I've actually like, since my P- being in my PhD program, I've shifted my language a little bit to just stay in my family or like family responsibilities to kind of refer to my family, because that's that's who they are. And I think oftentimes when people use that language, they use it just for like a traditional definition, of family of like partner and kids. Versus for me, if my brother calls me, I'm going to answer the phone every time, like it doesn't matter. But some people would say, since it's your brother, like you don't need to answer the phone, but that relationship is important to me. So mm-hmm. I have had to shift how I see the relationships in my life as, as seeing them as not things that I can make compromises on, so to speak, because they're not as important, but seeing them as central to to my life and saying, no, this is something I have to make time for and so I need to say no to X, Y, and Z because I have to, I have to do this. I felt like it was a little bit more of my own shift rather than a shift in people around me. Cause when I made that shift, people honored it. Mm, yeah. Uh,
4: when I was uh, interviewing for PhD programs last year, the advisor that I was uh, applying for at a different program than I'm at now had been single during his PhD program. And during the interview, he said something, I think it's because I asked during the portion where they're like, do you have any questions? I said, well, honestly, like I'm gonna be in a program regardless if it's this one or not. Like you, I have this wealth of knowledge in front of me. Like, what would you suggest I do to continue to prepare? And he said something about how difficult it was to be single during his program. And I could see some of the other people in the room were surprised um, because I think their assumption was well, it should be easier because you can pick up and move wherever and you have all this free time to, to study. And, and he said, but, but, and I think he could tell that they were kind of surprised. And he said, you know, I was taking care of everything, you know, if it's cooking or cleaning, it's the house, it's car stuff, it's, you know, whatever finance it, like it's, everything is me. I don't have anyone else that I'm sharing that with. And, and now that I've, you know, I was looking at all these theology programs across a range of of traditions, but in a lot of them still really impacted by evangelical church kind of norms around gender. And so the assumption of most of these programs was most of the people coming into them are a man who will have the freedom to do the work that he's doing because his wife is taking care of a lot of other things. And it's true in my program that all of the men are married and all of the women are single. And so there's this really like difficult dynamic of, on one hand, there can be difficulties with us relating to them. On the other hand, we're, we feel like we're taking on more, even though we recognize, you know, especially the ones who have kids, that's a whole other thing that we are not dealing with, you know, recognizing, like we've said a bunch of times, there's the pros and cons on both sides and everything's, you know, everyone has difficulties, but it's been helpful for me hearing someone who now is married and and has children and who is much further along in his career say, this is harder because you are taking on so much of that work yourself. And I think kind of like Stephanie said, it helped frame my thinking about this to advocate for myself better, as opposed to just sort of just sort of leading into the assumptions that I knew people would have, that I had lots of free time. It helped me really from the get-go advocate for myself and articulate well what I needed to have a full life. And that was also a shift too, to just think it's easier, at least it has been for me, not having a family quote unquote with me. It's been easier to think my entire life is my job and find all of my meaning and fulfillment there. And it has been a shift to go, you know, what would it look like for me to live a full flourishing life that includes things I love that are not my job, things that you know, I do with friends and have strong relationships. And what does it take to build that, which requires both pushing back against assumptions mm-hmm. that people have, or even directions <laughs> that they will give. And then as Stephanie said, kind of internally mm-hmm. figuring out, it won't be as built in for me to mm-hmm. think, okay, here's family, here's work, here's, instead I have to go, I've, I'm kind of creating that category for myself and making sure that I know how to advocate for myself well.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: I
2: agree with a lot of things Caitlin said about just struggles with grad school and being single, single. but the other thing that I would add to it is i think it also makes community feel a little bit harder or like because it's not it's not built in you're not coming you're not coming with your people so to speak <laughs> so now you have to find find your people and i'm in a program where like folks have a lot of varied commitments um whether it be like full-time work or family commitments so that community became a little bit harder. To find, and so I think that's the like the the struggle with being with being single in grad school is that you have to intentionally seek out the community and intentionally like prioritize it.
1: Yeah, which is one of the beautiful things that Caitlin shared on the yeah. at the beginning of the call was the fact that some women reached yeah. out to her right as she was beginning and included her and invited her into that space.
4: Yeah. The first, you know, first like week that it was public information where I was going to school, I had people going, we watch the bachelor every Tuesday. Like, do you want to come? <laughs> it was just not the kind of, you know um, it was a crossing of the like professional, it was just like right off the bat. Like, do you want to just be in my house and like be a yeah. part of my life was sweet. And I now I told you earlier, Karen, like I, it's something that I want to make sure that I'm passing on. That, that's a yeah. tradition among the women in my program that I said are overwhelmingly single and the men are overwhelmingly married my year it's totally that way that's a tradition i want to hand on to be like i'm going to be intentional about reaching out to those new those new women who come in yeah that's lovely that's
5: great i think the only thing that i would want to add which just simply reinforces what stephanie and caitlin have said is that finding your people right it's really in some ways a matter of cobbling together And not not necessarily, certainly, in in all cases, expecting to find community there in your academic program with your classmates. Um, In my experience, when I I was going through my Ph.D. program, um, the church that I was attending, it was predominantly not only an all-white church, it was a homeschooling mother church, that sort of thing. So I went to a gathering for women who had started attending the church in the last year and a half. I was literally the only professional woman in the room and there was just no way to connect that sort of thing. So, I mean, being intentional, right. About the relationships where there's, they're really substantive and, and that are life giving, right. That's really crucial. And it's wonderful when you can find it, you know, in your local church uh, as Caitlin has, that's wonderful, you know, but there are all kinds of situations out there. And so in my case, finding my community. It's with friends in different churches. And we're not all local and that sort of thing or whatever, but just finding ways to be really intentional about that, about having whatever monthly calls, texting, making sure that there are people that I can process life with. And I think that's a perhaps a uniquely difficult thing for single women who are living alone, you know, who maybe don't have a Roommate or housemaid or whatever you don't have someone to process the day with, even just to say this happened, you know that sort of thing on a daily basis. And so, in some ways, we need to be certainly be more intentional in our God about it, but also to have these relationships that are really mutual there, yeah,
3: yeah I would agree with everything that's been said. I, I do think that intentionality piece is really important, so and realizing that things will shift through the years, right? So, and even we've all been through a global pandemic, right? So we, we couldn't be with people even if they were local, but I've found in my own life, the Lord opened up other spaces um, and grew other relationships. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. And texting groups can be really helpful. I'm hoping to get back to one of the intentional things that I used to do was Meet up with a couple of friends once a week, and we would share a meal together or go to happy hour together, and it was a good gift, you know. And that was just part of my routine. So having that intentional connecting point once a week uh, really helped. I think another thing that I've I've heard faculty I think this is harder, but I, I think it can be done if you set the boundaries ahead of time. Is even just kind of saying. I'm not available after 6 p.m. I'm not going to answer texts or, you know, for work, sort, sorts of things, right? I mean, if it's an emergency, certainly call. But in general, I'm not available. You know, like one of the things that I do, a boundary for me with work is I rarely read work emails after 6 and oftentimes I feel like the Lord enforces it because it's like, if I read something later in the evening and I'm upset about it, it's like, there's nothing I can do about it until tomorrow anyway, right? So it's like, no, it's just better not to read those work emails after <laughs> six o'clock and it, it can wait until tomorrow. And I have heard of faculty who've even had that on their signature line. Like, just so you know, don't check emails after 6 p.m. And I was like, I think that's a great boundary to have. It's hard to have. and And you have to, I think, be explicit about it if you're going to have it, but I I think it can be done. (laughs) So that would be the only thing
1: I would add. Well, we need to wrap our conversation up, but before I do, I want to ask any parting comment, thought, something that you want to say that I didn't ask a question to draw it out of you. (laughs) Any closing thoughts or comments? I think something that has stood out for me from our
2: conversation is place and value in single people as legitimate Christians, so to speak. <laughs> and I, I really loved what Caitlin shared about friendships with people who are married as seeing it as more mutual that I can learn from you and you can learn from me. And so I think that's an important part of being valued as single Christian woman is be, still being seen as someone who has something to offer the the church or communities. Um, so that's something that has stood out to me from our conversation.
5: When I was first starting to sort of initially gather my thoughts about what I would wanna uh, share, um, I would say that my um, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I didn't become a Christian until graduate school actually. So it was just really, all of this was completely new. And um, I would say that uh, the assumptions that I carried was, as a single person, I am deficient. I'm not as well resourced as married people for life and and that sort of thing. And over the years, I've been amazed to discover, this is what I want to say in a nutshell, Colossians 2, only Jesus completes us. Only Jesus can meet us in the deepest places uh, and in the ways that we most need and want and long for uh, in terms of um, intimacy and wholeness and hope. And um, over, <laughs> over many years now, I'm really grateful to see that actually it's that's, that's true. <laughs> Only Jesus mm. can meet us and complete us, each one of us. And marriage, is not the answer. Singleness is not is not a um, particular. It's not a peculiarly deficient state, you know. But it's something that the reality uh, taking hold of that and having that become our lived reality. That's the opportunity and the challenge for all of us.
0: Wow, Lisa! Thank you. That's lovely.
3: Yeah, I really appreciate everything that's been said. I I think we've nodded in this direction, but I think it's helpful to name sometimes. our, Our culture tells us that we can only have intimacy when we're sexually active. And what this conversation has shown over and over again is that's not true. It's a lie. And as Christians, I think we need to name that. And also, be places where we are intentionally inviting others in and building those relationships so i just it's been a delight to be speaking with all of you and lisa's apt word is is very um it's a great one to end on that yeah we have intimacy with the lord and he can meet all of our needs and and actually that's that's the ideal place to to lean but then he also made us to be in community with one another and i'm grateful that we've I think all of us have found spaces where that has happened. Thanks be to God for that. Mm-hmm. And, and that requires both intentionality on our parts, but we do also need brothers and sisters in Christ to be intentional. Um, so there's intentionality in both directions. Like I, I think about a couple um, from my church who intentionally started inviting me to an event that they used to just invite couples to. And that was a good gift. And that was a mm-hmm. choice that they made. And again, we've, we've heard of others like that. So I'm grateful for those things. Yeah.
4: Yeah, related to that, and also related to what Lisa said, I I was just looking. I have a um a little sign uh, on my wall in my office that says "Blessed Rather," um, which is from uh, Luke when Jesus. It's in a weird spot in Luke. I think it's Luke eleven twenty eight. I wanted to make sure I saw, I saw the reference and got it right. It's when um it's like couched between two other strange stories. This like w- just few verse little interaction where a woman praises Jesus through his mother and says, blessed is the woman who birthed and nursed you. And Jesus responds, blessed rather are those who hear the word of the Lord and obey. And every time I, I read that I, or I think about it, I think, again, it doesn't say that in the text, but I just imagine Jesus surrounded by the people following him, including women who were following him, who were doing an unconventional thing with their lives and who I imagine, I mean, again, I'm, this is all not in the text, it's me imagining it, but I can imagine a, a culturally normal way of praising a woman like that, blessed is the woman who birthed and nursed you, probably sounded to those women the way lots of things that I will hear in a couple of weeks on Mother's Day <laughs> will sound to me, in, in that depending on their life circumstances, it could hit at this particularly painful, tender thing that asks Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing a good thing? Am I being a good person? And ultimately, if they're following Jesus, there's, there's that other added element of like, am I doing what God would have me to do? Does God value things that I am not doing higher than the things that I am doing? And just imagining Jesus responding in that moment, not just to rebuke this random woman, but to really reorient what we value in our culture from just... This one role that this woman had, the best thing that she could possibly do, right, is produce a male son who would do something significant. Instead, saying, "Blessed rather are those who hear the word of the Lord and obey," which both elevates the work of the women following him, doing this strange thing, and yet sounds very similar to what Elizabeth says about his mother Mary earlier in Luke: "Blessed are you among women, for you have heard the word of you have heard the word of the Lord and obeyed." Essentially, um, so to just have that be the standard against which we think about our lives um, has changed how I think about things, not only because it sort of rebukes this cultural narrative, but because it replaces it with this other one, hear the word of the Lord and obey.
5: I love that, can I just say that? Because it it really puts the onus back on each one of us to hear from the Lord and the Lord's call is individualized. And so we have to be in this continually Mm. listening, hearing relationship. It's unique and it's distinct. So I love that, Caitlin. Thank you. Mm.
1: Well, thank all of you for coming and for being candid and honest and talking with me about all of these things. I really do think this conversation will be a gift to uh, the women who listen to it, uh, men too, for that matter, right? And and even as we've said, whether they're married or single, uh, this conversation will be a gift as we think about what does it mean to listen to God, to hear what He has for each of us, and to follow it with all of our energy, right? And uh, and and that takes us into all kinds of different places throughout the season, seasons uh, in our life. So thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for spending time with me today. Maybe one day we actually can do it in my living room with (laughs) a beverage of choice and some chocolate for sure. Uh, But until then, I'm grateful for Zoom and grateful for the four of you and for the work that you're doing for beyond the work that you're doing for who you are and how God is growing you and using you as influencers in each of the places where you are.
0: What I loved most about this conversation was the way it all boiled down to the ability of each one of us to listen for God's unique call on our lives, as varied as that may be. It's a hard lesson to learn, both for our culture and the church, but it's a very important question to explore. I'm grateful to deepen my thinking about this along with these women, and along with you, our listeners. So, thank you for being here with us. And if you listen all the way to the end of the credits, I'll end with a reading from Colossians 2, a key text that Lisa Sung refers to at the end of the conversation. All Shall Be Well is hosted by me, Anne Boyd and is a production of InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters, So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 a month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, hear this reading from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the Deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority.